Kia ora and welcome to Beyond Consultation, a podcast that will help you in your public or community sector work to increase your impact by doing more than just ticking the box of consultation. I'm Paul McGregor from Business Lab, and we're interested in the mindsets and methods of people who are making a bigger impact by working collaboratively with communities, industries, and other organizations. Ma mihi mote Kia ora and welcome to today's episode. I'm really excited to share with you my conversation with Atafai Tibble, whose superpower is all about helping crown agencies to partner and engage with Māori. So this show is for you today. If you've ever wanted to understand how to work with Māori in a way that works for Māori, whether you're in a government organisation or a community organisation or even a business, this is going to be helpful for you. Artify has got a lot of wisdom and he's a real He's a born connector and storyteller and has a lot of mana in the sector. So we run through his framework, the five whys of Māori engagement, and that's why not spelled in the English W-H-Y, but W-A-I, which in Te Reo Māori, it's a question word. It can mean who. It also it might mean water, or it might be short for waiata, a traditional song. So Artify's five wise framework gives you five questions to ask yourself before you leave the office. These are to help you through things that will commonly trip people up. We talk a lot in the episode about the value and the importance of a navigator role, how you can find that person, how you can work with them and support them. Plus, I also include a short clip, a piece of advice from Danelle Moneyheader, who works for Coati Limited. So there's some really practical advice from her about where to start when you're doing your research. And we talk about the magic and importance of cups of tea. How many cups of tea is this going to need? This is a question that Artify sometimes asks himself. You know, how many individual conversations am I going to need to make progress on this? And one thing I should warn you about, the sound is a little scratchy in the first third of the episode, but uh, we do eventually fix that up for you. And you want to hang around until the end of this episode. We start talking about what Artify calls marae science. It's not rocket science, it's marae science. There's a story about tea towels, there's another one about a missing cloak, so it's a really entertaining episode. But more importantly, the value that you'll get underneath that is really going to help you to work better with Māori. So please give a warm welcome to Atafai Tibble. I'd love to know a little bit about you are to find where you fuck a papa too. Yeah, tēnā kata katoa, ko hikurangi te maunga wai pu te awa ngāti prau te iwi, ki te taho taku papa, uh, te taho tōku mama no tūwhare toa, te puko te whenua, heke iho te awa rangi tikei, te taho tōku mama no tūwhare toa, te puko te whenua, heke iho te awa rangi tikei, ki te awa awa o te reureu, ko toko rangi te marae, te tikanga te whare, kou tēnei, atawhai. I am from East Coast on Dad's side. Mum's from the middle of the island, Tuwharetoa, Lake Taupo. You follow down the river of Rangitike and you go past Martin and on the left-hand side as you're coming down State Highway 1, 
if you went over the river, you'd be in a little valley called Tereudu and the Tokorangi Marais there. And it's kind of inland from Halcombe and Fielding. And then also Parewahawaha, which is in Bulls. Everybody travels through Bulls when you're on State Highway 1. There's a McDonald's there. There's a Mobile, a BP, yeah. a kebab shop, a coffee stop. So my mum's side's from there as well. So that's where I hail from. I come from a family of 10. Mum and dad, good Catholics. Dad was a cop. We kind of lived in police houses all our lives. Went to Catholic schools all our lives. And I ended up in Hatopaura Māori Boarding School in Fielding. So I was there for five years. And that was pretty influential. I think when you live in a family of 10, it's a survival of the fittest. You get up earliest, you get the best breakfast. <laughs> and where yeah. were you in the 10? Well, I'm like number eight, man. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not even the baby. I'm not even halfway, you know. Uh, rough. My mother would go for three names and get to mine. You know, I'm that kid. <laughs> but it probably was good for me, to be honest, because you had to be a little bit tricky. So I learned some survival skills. Maybe thriving skills is a better way to put it. Did a law degree at Vic. I mainly did that for my parents. Mm-hmm. I didn't really enjoy it, but it was still good. And have kind of been in public policy, did a little bit of stats work, did a survey called Tekuping. I worked at Treasury. Now I'm at the Social Investment Agency. My superpower is people, mate, if I'm honest, eh? I like people. <laughs> and I like connecting so the things I do are really all about that. That's really mm-hmm. what I'm about, mate. That's not me in a nutshell. There's plenty more, but, you know, like all of us, we are yes. complicated beings. That's, a That's the, the first layer of the, the onion, I guess. Right. I, I grew up down in Christchurch, and my mum's side of the family is from South Africa. So my dad went over there on his way to the UK where some of his family was. And so three-week holiday became a three-year holiday he met my mum in week two and he got offered a job in week three and thought okay I might just stick around yeah I I had a pretty privileged upbringing in Christchurch but a a very Pakia white upbringing I I raised that because it's relevant to our kōrero that yeah I, I mean I grew up not speaking a word of te reo Māori until I got to university and suddenly that became a more part of my world. So that, that was how I grew up. Yeah. It's funny you say that because, I mean, when you go to Catholic schools, that's pretty, it's pretty white, man. So I suppose the only difference was, because my dad was a cop, he was quite an imposing figure. He was also mm. quite religious, so he loved church. So we'd have to all be dressed up in the same clothes. You know, we'd be the brown family that goes to the front row. And my dad loved to sing. Like, he was an amazing singer. Yes. So, you know, you had this Māori dude with this kind of bellowing voice. And in those days, there'd be competitions between certain fathers, you know, about how well they could sing. So it was kind of weird. We were this Māori family. All the kids had Māori names. My dad's name was Waho. We mm-hmm. lived in this really, really white town. But, you know, kind of because you were 10 of us, you knew people spoke differently or didn't say your name properly. But our father was a very proud man, you know. Mm-hmm. So he never spoke Māori to us. This is a, this is a weird thing. Our dad yeah. spoke Māori on the marae. So I remember being a marae kid. We grew up going out to mum's marae all our lives. It was our playground. You know, like you said, the way Makariri was where you swam. Rangitike River, you know, we'd have to walk down the hill of the marae. It'd be like 5Ks to go back and forth. And we'd go down there by ourselves. Maybe the oldest kid was 12. We'd be swimming down there. Then we'd have to go back up. 
before dad whistled, he had this whistle to get in the car, you know. So it was, even though it was, a, you know, Catholic schools are pretty, it was pretty old school in those days. You know, you got the strap for coming to school late. All the sisters kind of looked grumpy to me. Sister Felicitas, Sister Vianney, you know, they had weird names. Some of them yeah. had moustaches, you know, yeah. but it's just the world we lived in. All our priests had Irish accents. Yeah. And those things you don't even know. No. That they're unusual to others. So, I mean, for me, having a mum who is South African, she would speak some Afrikaans here and there. And I didn't know it was Afrikaans. And I'd go to school and I'd say these words and, ach, near but man, and chibi the dish. And people would wow. just be like, what? <laughs> so, hey, look, I'm really keen to have a cordial with you, Atafai, about your superpower, which as you put it, is enabling partnerships between Māori and the Crown, or your superpower is people, he tangata. And I know that a lot of the people that we talk with and work with in the government and community sectors, they've got these really good intentions about how to partner with Māori, how to enable Māori to lead their own futures. But there's a big knowledge and experience gap and they're unsure how to do it, where to start, what to think about. They're nervous about saying or doing the wrong thing. I was so keen to get you onto the podcast to share a bit about your knowledge and what you've been trying to teach people to help them on that journey. What's that saying, Newton? You know, you stand on the shoulders of giants. So my uncle, Iwikate Nicholson, had a different spin on that phrase. He'd say something like, we sit at the feet of our old people. We're kind of like the hairs on their legs. We cling to them to keep them warm and we listen to what they say and what they see, you know? Our elders enable us to see further, yeah? Mm -hmm. The Newton one was you standing on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. My Uncle Iwi's one is, no, 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 you're sitting at their feet and your ears are open. So <laughs> to me, that's the big lesson for me. I've never been a good listener all my life. But I've learned the older I get that the more you listen, the more curious you are. The more you have like an abstract idea of where you're heading, but you know, you color it in as you go. Mm -hmm. And you've got to do this with others. Mm -hmm. Now, this sounds really simple, and we know it's not because lots of times we have deadlines, we have a kind of pre ordained endpoint that probably has too much detail for the process of true engagement. And we do have to resist that stuff. And we've got to be a lot more honest with people because also our planning, I think, in governments, totally unrealistic. Maybe it's everywhere, you know? It's just unrealistic about where we think we're going to get to. One of the elders whose feet I enjoyed sitting at, and I didn't spend a lot of time with him, but he, he was gold, a guy, Ivan Kwok. So Ivan was the treasury lawyer for over 30, year, uh, 30 40 years. He passed away this year, but he did a lot of the major deals, rescued of ANSED, of Air New Zealand, of a whole lot of kind of commercial deals. And mm. later on in his life, he got involved in the treaty settlement process. Mm. And, you know, his thing to me was, listen, be careful of words. Sometimes the words we use don't mean the same thing. We mm. can be having a conversation with people and they mean completely different things. <laughs> and his thing was always, you know, I mean, he was older. He was Yoda-like, yeah? We called him Yoda. 
But it's that kind of, you know, that knowledge that comes from experience, from having your hands burnt, from mm-hmm. thinking you knew the answers, and then finding out really quickly that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of wisdom. And I just used to love listening to him because he just had a great way for explaining and telling stories. And I love that stuff, you know, to me, stories really what helps us understand things deeper. So I think that that thing in terms of, I call that less of a mindset because that makes it like an intellectual thing. I call it a heart set. If you think it's just an intellectual exercise, you're probably getting it wrong. You've Mm -hmm. got to try to, you know, empathy for me is standing in people's shoes. You never can really walk in their shoes. But, you know, we know we can try though, eh? We can really Mm -hmm. try. And Mm -hmm. I think we have to try. And we've got to try to see the world from their end. And I think in community... Lots of agencies don't really get that. I still work with people who, they're great people, but they are thinking too much of their needs. Mm. And it's not a true partnership, you know? Mm. So I've got to be careful because I don't want to use current examples, which are not good. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I suppose you, you talk there about that common situation where, yeah, you get this direction from on high hey we need you to achieve abc yes with marty by the end of next year xyz yeah it's the one <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so i mean what do you do when you're an advisor or a manager or whatever and you get that direction from up on high and you're just going i don't think that's realistic what have you well, seen for people that's helpful so a couple of things i'm now at the age where you know i can say hey that's not going to work and i've got enough mileage under the belt you know i think this is a challenge when you're early on in your career mm. and there are more senior people, particularly in government. People are going to go, oh, yeah, that sounds nice. No, thank you. Mm. So obviously that's not going to be helpful to everybody. But mm. let's be honest, experience and wisdom and a senior person is really helpful, number one. Mm. I think mm. number two, what I do like is government understands there's a need for co-design. They might not do it well, but they do get it. So, and that's a big kind of step forward compared to where we used to be where Mm. it was simply just engagement or Mm. consultation Mm. and you know somebody in Wellington was more likely to summarize what the community said and it would miss the nuance and the the really important things so I like the whole co-design movement I'm not saying it's perfect but I am saying it's a good space to be in Mm. and I think we've probably seen enough things where things don't work if anybody from Ngāpuhi is listening you know, I'm not saying up or he will never be settled, but there have been lots of attempts to engage at a solution for them and they don't work. So I think there's enough people who realize you just can't throw the same old stick at something mm-hmm. and think you'll solve it. So, yeah, mate, I think my thing is you do want to try to co design better, you do want to get in early. You know, there's that whole thing, the Charafiti, they've got an engagement framework now. They've got some kind of measurement of kind of how serious an engagement is and kind of what step of a ladder you need to be at. Mm. And I think all of that stuff is important. But this is true, mate. I know this may not sound helpful, but you can have all of that. You really need to find a really good Māori advisor Mm. who's got some mileage under the belt and they know the sector. Mm. Because you know how every area kind of has a tempo? There are kind of relationships that are established. I don't know of many areas where there aren't relationships. And I think you just have to have people who understand that. But you really need to understand. 
of the particular subject matter, who can help you best, you know, who can enable you to really understand, you know, what's probably going to work and what's not. Mm. And I think a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with, that's the hard engagement stuff. It's probably where government's trying to innovate mm. you know, and create solutions that are quite tough. So they normally have a bit of a reasonable budget for that. <laughs> you know, I'm being honest. Mm. You want to make sure they get the right people in there. And I'm going to jump in here with a quick pause to our interview with Utterfy. It's not for an ad or anything annoying like that. I was speaking with somebody else who could add some good perspective in here. Her name is Danelle Manihera. She works for Coati Limited, which is a consulting firm that can really help you if you're wanting to engage with Māori, particularly in around resource management or environmental issues. And I asked Danelle, what's your number one tip with engaging with Māori? Her advice builds really nicely off what Atafai was saying about doing your research before you leave the office, doing a bit of digging. The number one for engaging with Māori is being prepared. So what do you know about your localised iwi management plans? What's the MOUs? Where are hapu and iwi aspirations already articulated? Do your research. What do you know about the place you're going to? What's the abu at the moment, the hapu? What do you know about the mana whenua rep you are meeting? Know who you're meeting, what they do, who they are in their community, their strengths. Targeted information will support mana whenua to support you. I love that. Just really practical advice there from Danelle. So do your research, have a look on the websites of the iwi that you're wanting to work with. They will most likely have done a lot of work themselves trying to say, this is who we are, this is what we stand for, this is what we are working towards. And if you can read that, understand that, that's going to give you some insight into what are the people, the places, the principles that are important for them. And that gives you a really good baseline to start with. Okay, back to our interview with Artify, where we're talking about Māori navigators. And my next question to him is about how do you find a Māori navigator? How do you find the right Māori navigator if you you perhaps don't have relationships already in the community that you're wanting to work with? I would say normally in a subject matter area, there are a few areas I've been in where there's not some established names or people. Mm. That doesn't mean you're that person. You may be new to the area. But finding those people, with respect normally, it's relatively apparent to people in the sector. Yeah? Yeah. Now, there may be challenges with the government with these people. They may be outspoken, you know? They may be too far this way or too far that way. But what you're going to get is, you know, you'll get a spectrum of people. You really have to work out who's going to help you best meet your needs. And I do agree, if you're brand spanking new to the area... It's like, how do you, who do you find? Who do you look at? But I would imagine most places or most subject matter areas, there are desk files. There are people who have connected before and there'll be a story. Mm. And I think you need to follow the cookie trail. And I think you will find a group of people that would probably suit your needs in terms of navigating your way through an area. It probably is not as black and white as that. But it's also not as complicated as, oh, well, where do you start, you know? You start where you normally start as a detective, you know? Follow your nose. And you should be able to find some people. And I like the word you use, navigator, because that's the thing. These subject matter areas that we work in that may be complicated, there will be navigators that we need to find. And they'll be out there. we just got to look. 
I love one thing you write about, which is once you've found that person, don't use them as a Rolodex or yeah. a set of contacts. They're not a, yeah, yeah. They're not a database. They're not a Google context app. <laughs> All this stuff is a bit of art and science, you know? Mm. So the science bit, will there be the management bit? It'll be, and this is not really my buzz. It's the, what's the timeline, you know, the timeframes, blah, 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 blah all important stuff but if you don't get that person that stuff's for now it can look yeah. like you've got a plan but when, if you don't have the right people it's not a plan man so look after those people you're going to find them and you do have to look after them yeah and you mentioned te Fiti, the mighty crown relations agency yep. the bridge and their engagement frameworks that they've been developing i'd love to talk a little bit about your framework the five whys of Māori engagement. Maybe just to start, can you explain to people a little bit about why you came up with that? What was the backstory? I've got an approach. It is heavily centred around people because I'm a people person. And to me, the people is the process. You know, not the process is the process. And obviously in my approach, finding that navigator, understanding the people who you are dealing with and what their why is, understanding clearly what your why is, and then kind of proceeding from that to find that win-win. To me, that seems to be kind of self-evident. However, what I have found in all my working life, lots of times the engagement's not real and it's actually not trying to understand what people want out of this. My thing is the government and the Crown can be a way better partner if it just tries better to understand what the other side of the bridge is interested in and try to find that meeting point. Mm. I suppose my approach to engagement might sound more like a negotiation, you know, and less than a kind of, hey, this is what we want. What do you think? And I suppose that my approach also, I'll be honest, it plays to my bias, which is that we're in a partnership, a Crown Maori partnership, mm. and we need to find ways to get that win-win, to get mm. that halfway meeting point as best as possible. So in terms of the five whys, I'm trying to remember them now because, you know, they're embedded in my head. But Nawai is really, so Nawai, Nawai to Hufakarite, who set up this engagement process and what is their why? Like, what are they trying to do? And I realize sometimes people forget, what are they trying to do with the people that they're interested in? Because lots of times we try to sell the benefit of a thing at a really, really high level, you know? Mm -hmm. This data is going to help every New Zealander. And then you go, how's it going to help Māori? And they go, well, Māori are New Zealanders. So there's no drilling down to saying, you're talking to these people from this area. You want to engage with them. Why would they say yes? And it's a useful exercise. I don't think agencies do enough of that. They just go from the high-level principle. We're the government. This is what we want to do. We want to help you. This is how we help you. Generically, big picture. Whereas ultimately, <laughs> it's always going to impact people. So the core way to me is the who are you engaging with? Who are they? Yeah? Understanding that. And I still think that this is a challenge for lots of officials. They don't think well enough or strongly enough. They're so invested in process. They don't really try to process who the people they're trying to connect with. And obviously doing some homework, finding out about those people using all the tools you have at your disposal is really important. Like we said before, if there's a desk file of the subject matter area, it should become apparent who the interest groups are, that are Māori, who the spokespeople are. 
And if people don't know that, I'd be quite surprised. You know, they need to do their homework. So you've got the Nawai, uh, Kauai. I think the Mōwai is what's in it for Māori. So obviously you have to talk to Māori. But if you do enough homework and you look around, you could make some safe guesses about what might be pluses and minuses. I think people need to think about this. So you say Mōwai, you know, what's the benefit of this meeting and arrangement for Māori? What if I make some assumptions about that and I'm just totally off the mark? I think people have to have a crack. You know, mm. because I think the Mawai or Mewai, which is that navigator piece, that's really what that person's going to try to help you with, yeah? Mm. And that'll give you some warning if there are going to be some issues or some red flags that you have to be prepared for, you know? That navigator and that kind of thinking, you bring that stuff together and you should be a bit smarter about what are the fish hooks, what are the challenges we're going to face. Mm. And then I think it's the hair why, is it? Hair why. Have you got a song? Have you got a song? So you know how this works. Hawaii. When we're doing a speech, somebody goes, you've got to solve. And really that's about understanding what are the cultural and other things you might need to do when you engage or connect with Māori people. I have realised, Chief Paul, I am biased towards getting agencies and getting places to create positions and roles that enable them to have meaningful, ongoing engagement and connection mm. to Māori community. I think this is part of the treaty promise it's part of the enabling mechanisms that agencies need. And it's a small price to pay with huge benefits if you do it properly. Here in Fakatu Nelson, and I think the council here was potentially the first in the country to employ a kaihautu, a, a permanent guide and navigator. So we've been working with Tania Lee, who's the current one here. You can see the benefit that she and her role provides the community because immediately there's a first port of call for anybody who's thinking, oh, how am I going to engage or partner with Māori? Oh, well, I better go chat with Pania. Yes. And, you know, it just has made it a lot easier for all of the Pākehā organisations in the community to know where to start. I've, I've obviously been engaging with a lot of Crown agencies about how to build their capability better. And I was at a hui the week before, five justice sector agencies and a good friend of mine, Mary Wilson, who works for the police, made a couple of comments I thought were really, really powerful. And they were really about roles like Pania's one, that you not only need to appoint them, those people, you need to develop and stretch them. They're not just roles that, oh, well, they'll look after themselves. Mm -hmm. You've got to invest in them to make sure they get the best training and support because it can be a lonely role. Yeah, mm. particularly if you might be supporting something that the council wants that the tribe don't, that can be a lonely space to be in. And I think the third thing is you've got to grow more roles across the agency, you know, of Māori people who can help connect. I think two more things I thought about after this meeting was prawns will, will probably be a good example, and it happens to me all the time. Lots of people think with these navigator roles that, oh, they've got the council or the badge of the social wellbeing agency, that's why Maori connect with them. Actually, lots of times, people don't like the agencies that Maori work for. They talk to them because they trust in them. Mm. It has nothing to do with their title, lots of times, and more to do with their relationships. And lots of agencies don't recognize that. I've been to places where people go, oh, that's outside of your remit. You shouldn't mm. be talking to those people. People will talk to them. CEOs of Iwi will talk to them before they might talk to a CEO of a council or a mm. councillor because they trust the person. Mm. That's something we've got to recognise. 
The other thing I found in my life, and it's, it probably was challenging earlier on, but now I just let everybody know, for Māori navigators, the work is actually not in the office, it's in the community. If you're not known and you're not seen at tangis, at the right hui, people go, oh, who, who's that again? Mm. You know, it's, it's really a community role. So mm. while you may work for an agency, there will be times you've got to turn up the hui and go to spaces and workmates might go, oh, what are you going there for? And we've got a saying, kanohi kitea, which is really, you know, the face that is seen. Mm. And if you're not a kanohi kitea, mate, people go, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know, and that's not a good thing for a navigator. You need to be a navigator who everybody knows has your phone number and they call you on a Sunday to say, hey, this thing that's happening next week, what do we do? I want to come and see you. If I'm a CEO, I, I would love that. Hey, I would love that, you know? I'd love to have that kind of inside intel that helps me do what I've got to do. Mm-hmm. So those are a few, you know, in my experience, tidbits in terms of the importance of navigators, how you need to support them and grow them, but also how in order for them to be effective, they've got to spend a lot of time out of the office as well as in it. Kia ora, So for those people who are listening and have heard those five whys and are going, mm, I want to learn some more, where I first found out about Atafai was from his article on LinkedIn. So I'll pop that on the show notes, which has the five whys and some explanations about questions to think about at each step and some of Atafai's little gold nuggets of wisdom thrown in there. I call them Atafai-isms. <laughs> Atafai-isms, nice. <laughs> What might be cool for people listening, you talk about the power of story to help people understand this sort of stuff. And I wonder if we could go back and talk through a recent story of yours. I've got a better story. So this story is, it's about the challenges that navigators also find working in agencies that don't truly understand the importance of culture and values. And I think this is an important thing. So I've got a mate who he'll rename nameless, okay? But he used to work for a certain organization. He worked for a long time there and he decided to leave. And when he left, the local iwi came to farewell him. And he had a regional role. So he was in this particular office and a new regional director was there. And they had this farewell process. And the local iwi gifted this guy a cloak. And it was beautiful. And so this guy's a really humble guy. He's related to me. He's really humble. And he said, I can't take that cloak. You're giving it to me for me doing my job well. Mm. If it's okay, I'd like to give this cloak to this office. And the regional director said, oh, that's, that'd be awesome. We'll have that. And the local we said, that would be a pleasure. It, it'll be an honor. And so, you know, this particular cousin of mine, he was happy because, you know, he's a humble guy. And, you know, he said, hey, I was just doing my job. Mm. So... I don't deserve that cloak. This place deserves the cloak. A year later, he'd, he'd stepped out and got a new job and he rang up the new Māori liaison guy and he was talking to him and he said, oh, I've got a big meeting tomorrow and I was just wondering if I could borrow that cloak. Hmm. And the guy goes, what cloak? <laughs> and he goes, you know, the farewell last year, the local EB gifted me the cloak and I gifted it to the office. And he goes, I haven't seen that cloak. And my cousin said, oh, could you have a look for it? Because I need to know where it is. Mm. 
And the guy rings me back two days later. Hey, we found it. Found the cloak. Awesome. Where was it? And he goes, it was in the broom cupboard. <laughs> and I use this story. It's a true story. I use this story all the time to remind people that we've got to be really careful what we leave behind in organizations and what we gift them. Mm. While those organizations need to step up, we all know that Māori stuff is new for lots of places. CEOs come and go every three years. Organizations can have total rebrands. Mm -hmm. And artwork and treasures like cloaks can end up in the broom cupboard. Mm -hmm. Names of rooms may end in the dustbin. You know, maybe images, taonga that you put on branding, new brand comes in, it's gone. Mm -hmm. And I've said to a lot of people, particularly navigators, hey, we've just got to be really clear about what we can and can't do. And it should guide what we do and do not do. Because for as exciting all this stuff is and amazing it is to see progress, a lot of these people don't really understand how important some of this stuff is to us. And to see something as precious as that cloak and it went to the broom cupboard, I know, for example, in foreign affairs, when they go overseas, there's a whole lot of stuff that's just been mothballed because mm -hmm. they get gifts handed to them every year. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they'll get special artifacts. They've probably got a museum, a foreign <laughs> affairs museum. And then I've spoken to other chief advisors and navigators about what are the karakia we give and share with our staff? What's the appropriate depth of culture mm -hmm. for a workplace? There's a disposable nature to work, yeah? Mm. That we just need to be careful about. Mm. Obviously, I'm not saying everything needs to be disposable. I'm just saying we've just got to be careful about mm. what we give people. Mm. And uh, this goes back to the level and the depth. We've just got to make sure our stuff is not too sacred, if you know what I mean. Mm. It's so sacred, it's not appropriate for the workplace. It's mm. appropriate for certain people and certain spaces, but maybe workplaces are not those. So mm -hmm. this is an interesting dialogue and a discussion I have with my mates who we probably all think way too much about this stuff, <laughs> but it's the kind of stuff when you're working in this area and the subject matter area, you really do need to kind of understand and kind of grip up. And so that means that if I'm working with people like you and other staff, let's say we had an organization, we're keeping everybody safe. We understand why we're here, what we're doing, what we're trying to do, kind of what stuff is appropriate for a workplace and it's still got mana and integrity mm. and what stuff is it it might be too much what i was hearing from you in there was being careful and deliberate about what you do with the taonga the sacred things that might get created through the corridor or through the conversations that you're having and so as well for for pakia who i think sometimes we Pākehā can come into an engagement process with Māori and we almost can get attached to the spirituality of te ao Māori, which some, in some Pākehā context, that's not something that's as strong in our culture. Yes. And so I think there can be a bit of a risk sometimes of, oh, wow, I'm in this, this sort of tapu, this sacred conversation, and, and we grow a little bit too attached to that. And that can be a bit of a, a danger that can blindside us from other things that are going on. 
Well, I, I think you're right. And I think also, I like your words, you know, purpose, intentionality are things that we need to be really solid about. But my mate, he's on Waka 2 board, Te Puoho Katine. He's mm. a young guy, but he's really brilliant. And he said something like, write your values in stone <laughs> and your plans in ink. And I think it's something like, you've got to be quite intentional, but you've got to be clear about what are the things that will come and go. Mm. And what are the things that are just rock solid, mm. you know? And so I hope what I'm talking about can be seen in that light. Branding mm. images, those things come and go, mate. Practices based on values, those are the things, you know, we need to be solid on. Mm. I think what I'm getting from you, if I sort of like an overall picture is of do your homework before you head out the door. And that's what I've loved about the five whys framework when I've used it is, yeah, it helps you to sort of go, oh, like what are the things I really need to think about that are going to help help me to not trip over myself when I go out there and start to have a court at all with someone. I, I had so many other things I wanted to talk with you about. One was the 1,000 cups of tea. Yeah, mate. So 1,000 cups of tea is really... It's not rocket science, it's marae science. <laughs> so marae science is you learn really quickly at the marae that you can have all the fanfare on the marae in the front, but actually things that happen in the kitchen over a cup of tea, that real talk, that less formal stuff, mm. that's where magic is, yeah? Mm. So a thousand cups of tea is in fact a statement about a cup of tea. Or how long is this going to take to get this agreement done? It's going to take a thousand cups of tea. Okay? <laughs> and what does that mean? It's just going back and forth, going back and forth. It's taking time, but it's that one-on-one -on -one space. You know what I mean? If the cup of tea was a measure of time, mm. that's what it means. Related to that is another story. That's another piece of marae science. And my cousin, Dr. Wayne Nutter, we were doing a piece of work on leadership, mild leadership. And Wayne said to us, we saw this flash list of all these attributes of a leader, you know? Blah, blah, blah. You know, leader, a leader is strong, has vision, understands detail, but doesn't get too involved in it. Makes trade-offs, all this stuff. And Wayne was like, yeah, because they wanted a Maori perspective. Wayne Nutter was like, yeah, I don't see tanga." And we laughed, eh? Because tanga is like, when do you pick up a tail and, <laughs> and get your hands soapy and hang out in the back in the kitchen with the real people, you know? Are you a leader who walks around screaming orders or are you a person who gets in with everybody, hey, visits all your buildings, can talk to the cleaner as well as to the general manager, you know? We'd call that tea towel tanga, i.e. the tea towel in the back of the kitchen. Are you, <laughs> are you a fight or expert that goes in the back and has a smoke or a cup of tea or hangs out with those people? Or do you just stay in the front? Yeah. And I love that metaphor, man. I got one more thing, mate. And maybe we can wrap up on this. One more thing. And this came from my uncle, Api Mahuika. And it was the Paramount Chief of Ngati Pro. An amazing man. An amazing man. And apparently the story goes like this. When you're a Maori leader, mate, people, people, hey, in, in, in Ngati Pro, lots of tribal areas, your people give it to you, mate. If they don't agree, they give it to you. Mm. Hey. <laughs> And it must be even worse now with Facebook, you know? <laughs> but here's the thing. Somebody asked Uncle Wapi, he said, Uncle, when, when you're going up to the Marae there, all those people were throwing knives in your back, tire hearts in your back, Uncle. What do you think about that? 
And Uncle Wapi goes, I'll tell you what, boy. You know when people are throwing things in your in your in your back, do you know what that tells me? We go, what? He goes, it means your people are behind you. <laughs> this is all Marae science, my friend. This is Marae science. This is Matodagamori. I mean, Ngaji Pro people, I'm Ngaji Pro. We tell these things in a joking way. This is what I love about storytelling. You tell it as a joke, but there's a deeper meaning, eh? And they're memorable. Like, story's got to be memorable. Yeah, yeah. I can tell that to someone else later on and they, <laughs> they can get it. Marae science, man. It's all good. Oh, kia ora, Atafai. I'm trying to think of the the say the fakatoki kapai kimuri kapai kimua kapai in mea katoa. If it's good in the back, it's good in the front, and everything will be all fine. All good. <laughs> hey, kia ora, Atafai. Thank you so much for sharing some of your stories and your energy and your little gold nuggets with with our audience. And if people have loved what they've heard from you, what's the best way to learn more or to connect with you? Artify Tibble is on LinkedIn. You'll find me there, mate. I'm always writing. Yeah, yeah. That's Well, that's how I found out about you and I've loved your posts. So it's been a pleasure to finally see you in person. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond Consultation podcast. What did you learn from the show? What should we have talked about? Who else should I interview? I would love to hear your feedback. And if you want to learn more about what you heard today, everything from the show is at www.businesslab.co.nz slash podcast. If this episode has left you with a burning question, please feel free to submit a voice message through the link on our podcast page. We can then ask that question of a guest in a future episode. Or tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Facebook and I can point you in the right direction. If you want to know when we release new episodes, make it easier for yourself and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Again, thank you for listening. Nga mihi mo te whakaronga.